How's everybody feeling? Feeling good? Let's uh, let's jump right into this this morning, okay? Still doing uh, stuff on Melchizedek, and I'm going to pick up where I left off because I didn't get everything out last week that I wanted to get out. So uh, come with me to Matthew, and we'll leave, I'm going to read a lengthy portion of scripture, Matthew 24, and then we're going to deal with it in light of. Uh, Melchizedek and some some stuff with Israel. Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That's an important statement. He went out and departed from the temple. It's important to get that context. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Notice he says these things. Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Notice what they say. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name, saying that I am Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, and the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. They will deliver you up, (laughs) his listeners, to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Let Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath. <coughs> For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, um, here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise up and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashing to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Then they will see... The son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. Notice it says a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect 
from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that the summer is near. So also when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Somewhat familiar with that uh, passage, right? Now, let's um, let's put it in its historical messianic context. All right, let's start with this. There were three, and the reason I'm doing this is because we're at the Feast of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles, I believe sometime this week. I mean, not today, but we're in that season. Uh, and so I wanted to address uh, how that season fits with some of the things that Jesus was doing and talking about. It's a Jewish feast. So in the book of Exodus, a Jewish male was required to travel to Jerusalem three times a year to keep the Jewish feasts. Now, we got a lot of people today that want to keep the Jewish feasts that are Christians, and that's fine. God bless you. But don't think you're somehow getting special points in heaven or something because you're not traveling to Jerusalem. So don't don't act like you're being more obedient to the word of God than the rest of us because in order to keep the feast correctly, you have to go to Jerusalem. Just saying. But you were required three times a year to appear before the Lord, which meant appearing before the Lord was in the temple. So there would be a national gathering. The temple would be central to it. And that was the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Passover basically had three phases. You had the Passover when the lamb was killed. You had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where they would clean house. It's where the idea of spring cleaning comes from, right? And then you would have the fast of uh, the fast, the feast of first fruits. Um, so Jesus fulfilled that by dying as the lamb of God, right? By bringing purification and by being the first fruits from the dead when he was raised from the dead. So he fulfilled that feast. Then they would be required to appear at the feast of Pentecost, which was about the wheat harvest. And um, obviously we know that was fulfilled in, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? But there was a third feast that we don't really know about that was the Feast of Tabernacles. And it also consisted of three phases. It began with the Feast Day of Trumpets and uh, with the blowing of the trumpets to announce that the harvest feast had come. And then they would have the Feast Day of Atonement, which brings us to the issue of Melchizedek. On the Feast Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, through the veil, into the central part of the temple, and appear before the Ark of the Covenant, before the presence of the Lord. And there he would slaughter a goat, and he would place the blood of the goat. But before he went in, this is an important part for this morning, he would take incense So he would not just go in. He would go in on a cloud of incense. He would go in on a cloud of incense and appear before the Lord in a cloud of incense. And he would offer the goat as a sacrifice. He would spread the blood on the Holy of Holies. Then he would come out 
he would take another live goat, confess the sins of the nation of Israel and the people on the live goat and throw the live goat out into the wilderness. And then he would announce that, that basically the atonement had been accomplished. That's on the feast day of atonement or Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur, once that atonement was done, then the real celebration kicked in, which was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would remind themselves that they were pilgrims, they were strangers in a strange land, if you will, but it was also the celebration of the ingathering of the entire harvest. Now, there's a couple different ways people look at this prophetically. They say everybody agrees Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Passover. Everybody can agree that the Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled in the book of Acts. And most people then will put the Feast of Tabernacles into the future sometime and say that this is something that either the church will fulfill by coming into the fullness of the glory and bringing in a full harvest of souls, or it will be fulfilled at the second coming and they try to find connections with the book of Revelation. But I could show you in Colossians chapter 2, but I'm not going to take the time to tell you that Paul said that all the feasts have already been fulfilled in Christ. Amen. So we're not looking forward to any of them being fulfilled. And we're no longer under the type or the shadow, but there's a fulfillment in Christ. Now, the writer of Hebrews says the same thing because he says that Jesus comes as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek and not with the blood of bulls or goats, but with his own blood. He appeared in the presence of God and he cleansed the heavens, thereby making an atonement for all of creation. And actually the word atonement in the English means at one meant. So he brought a healing to the rift between all things visible and invisible by reconciling all things to himself. We looked at that last week. Are you breathing? So the, the high priest fulfills, Jesus, our high priest, fulfills the feast day of atonement, right? And then there's this last thing of the ingathering. So what was the ingathering about? Well, I think to understand how the early disciples understood the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the Messiah, and the fulfillment of these things, we need to understand what their expectations were. So I'm going to take you to a couple of... I'm taking one scripture in Jeremiah. Uh, and this is all over in the prophets, but this is a good example. Jeremiah 23. And he says this in verse 5. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, and a king shall reign and prosper. Remember, Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. I will raise up a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they will no longer say, watch this, they will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell safely in their own land. So about 800 years before the time of Christ, the kingdom of Israel, which had been united under David, is divided into a northern kingdom and into a southern kingdom, right? 
And basically it's divided into the ten tribes, their land, where the ten tribes had. And then you had two tribes, you had Judah and Benjamin. And that was the split. And so David was of the tribe of Judah. And so actually a Jew is someone from the tribe of Judah or Benjamin, not an Israelite. That's why Judaism is called Judaism. It's not Israelism. It's Judaism. So they get scattered to all these different uh, countries, the, the lost tribes of Israel, they were called. Then the other kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, goes into exile into Babylon. They're exiled into Babylon. They're released from Babylonian captivity, but they never reoccupy the land for themselves. So that by the time Jesus shows up, they're under Roman occupation, right? Now, the Jewish people understood that time period to be the age of exile. Everybody just say with me, the age of exile. Now, you have to understand that things are divided up by ancient people into ages based on the stars. I don't usually listen to myself, but I went back and listened to one of the messages I did. And I've been messing up for weeks, not realizing I've been saying, I know what I mean to say, but it comes out of my mouth wrong. (laughs) So... I, I knew what the right thing to say was. I just didn't say it. So I'm sorry for mis- misleading you. I, I, was, I was explaining to you the, the physics of our universe that the sun, not only is the earth rotating around the sun, but the sun is also rotating around some central point within our universe. And I said it takes uh, 2,600 years for the sun to rotate. That's completely wrong. It takes 50,000 years for the sun to rotate around whatever point it's rotating around. 50,000 years. It's 20, anywhere from 2,000 to 2,600 years for it to basically pass through a solar month, if you will, or to move along the elliptic. It's really technical stuff. You don't have to understand it. But to move from one uh, astrological sign or one constellation in the sky of star or, or in the sky, one constellation of stars, to move through it into another constellation of stars. And so the ancients observed these phenomena because let's just be honest, they couldn't watch Netflix. And the priesthoods were dedicated to this. And Abraham comes out of the era of Chaldees, and the Chaldeans were astrologers. The Babylonians were astrologers. Who do you think the Magi were that came to find Jesus? Thank you. So every 2,600 years would be identified as, a, as an age. Now, the Bible does deal with this. People don't like to hear it, but it's true. <laughs> And it's, it's actually important because you, you gotta understand that ancient people believed that the stars influenced and controlled your destiny. Everybody hear me when I say this. Influenced and controlled your destiny. So if you're born under a certain astrological sign, then these are the characteristics that you will manifest and basically they're locked into you and then the stars determine basically what's gonna happen in terms of your destiny. The planets, the arrangements, the whole thing. Yes? Right? That's what they believed. So, When you see Jesus in the book of Revelation, let me just give you one example. When you see Jesus in the book of Revelation, what is he holding in his hand? Seven stars. Why is he holding seven stars? Because there were seven great lights in the sky. The sun, the moon, and five of the planets. And all of these were believed to have influence upon people. And so Jesus is basically telling 
He's basically telling us or telling the ancient people, the stars don't rule you. I'm Lord. And if I'm Lord, I rule the stars. I can turn them with my hand, which means I can change your stars. I can change your fate. If you make me Lord, you can rule your stars. You can master your stars and you can no longer be, you no longer have to be in bondage to this stuff. And, and so a lot of the stuff that you see taking place in the Bible is, is God freeing the minds of ancient people from these deep-seated thousands upon thousands of years of beliefs about the influence of the stars upon fate and destiny. Oh. Here's why this is important. So, so Abraham, so watch this. So Abraham is somewhere 2,022, 2,300 years before the time of Christ. <coughs> When he goes to offer up Isaac, watch this, he lifts up his eyes, and what does he see? He goes to offer Isaac, and he says, Isaac tells him, smart guy, he says, look, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the offering? And he says, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. So it says he lifts up his eyes and looks, and what does he see? He sees a ram. Well, what's a ram? It's the sign of Aries in the sky. Why? Because... Abram lived when the sun was set, at least age-wise, in the sign of Aries, the Lamb. Which is why Moses and why Abraham and Moses and David and all those people were what? Shepherds. Why do you think is now you gotta understand Egypt was also very ruled by the stars. They were also very astrological in nature. So why did the children of Israel Leave at midnight. And why did they sacrifice a lamb? <laughs> it had to do with the stars. And a lamb, because they were in the age of Aries, was sacred to Egypt like a cow is sacred in India to the Hindus. So when they sacrifice the lamb, basically God is showing them they're not subject to the powers and the witchcraft and the astrology of Egypt. And it is the killing of that lamb that, that liberates them and sets them free. But now when Jesus is born, Jesus is born, there is a shift in the ages that everybody is expecting because they know that, 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 that it's time for the sun to move into another, another constellation. And the constellation next to Aries that the sun is moving into is Pisces, which is fish. So, so Jesus doesn't go looking for shepherds. It, it's in your Christmas story. <laughs> For crying out loud. Who shows up at the Christmas story? The shepherds and who? The, the magi. And who are the magi? They look at the stars. They're the astrologers. Why do they show up? Because God's announcing to the shepherds it's the end of the age of Aries. And He's announcing through the magi it's the beginning of the age of Pisces. So Jesus dies as the Lamb of God, but He's raised by the sign of Jonah, who's carried by a fish... So that when he dies, it's the end of the age of Aries. When he resurrects, it's the beginning of the age of Pisces. Which is why all his miracles have to do with water. Water into wine, calming the sea, multiplying loaves and... Why not loaves and chicken? <laughs> or fruit? Why was it fishes? Are you breathing? Why am I emphasizing this? Because we think the end of the age, we read end of the world. 
We don't understand that Jesus and the disciples and the Israelites are living at the end of an age. Now, so the, the, the expectation was this, for, in Second Temple Judaism was this, that on the 10th Jubilee, which they believed that they were in, on the 10th Jubilee since the exile, since the, they returned from captivity, Messiah, who would be after the order of Melchizedek, a priest king, would show up, and this priest king would fulfill the Day of Atonement, And then he would gather the elect from the four winds, which they interpreted to be the lost ten tribes of the house of Israel. Melchizedek was going to do that. Are you breathing? Now come with me to Daniel 7 and then we'll go back and go through some of this. This is actually good news. It might mess up your Bible prophecy charts. But if you're honest, your Bible prophecy charts have been messed up for decades. Because they've been wrong. I'm sorry you can't scare people into the kingdom with this. Now watch this. I'm I'm not going to deal with the first part of that. Let's just deal with the last part of this. Verse 13 of Daniel 7. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Coming with the clouds of heaven. One like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, stop there, don't read on, and ask yourself this question. From where is he coming, and to where is he going? What's point A to point B? Be careful before you answer. One like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. See, we are conditioned to think the Son of Man coming on the clouds is coming from heaven to earth because you're thinking white puffy clouds. But the high priest, and when it says he came before him, it's a, it's a poor translation. It's no wonder we get so messed up. It's literally, when it says he was brought before the Lord, it's the word that's used to bring a sacrifice. What it says is, the son of, one like the Son of Man was brought as a sacrifice to the Ancient of Days. And he came to the Ancient of Days on the clouds. So he is not descending, he is ascending, because the very next part of the vision, he takes a throne. And they brought him near before him to the Ancient of Days, to God. And then to him, or the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations, languages, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So he comes on the clouds of heaven. It is a temple picture because when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he came in a cloud of incense. He didn't just approach the the throne. He came in a cloud of incense and he brought a sacrifice. 
So everybody in Second Temple Judaism understood that Daniel's talking about a Melchizedek. He's talking about a high priest who is going to come on a cloud before the Ancient of the Days. He's going to ascend from heaven to earth. He's not going to descend from earth to he- from heaven. I'm sorry. He's going to ascend from earth to heaven on a cloud. He's not going to descend from heaven to earth on a cloud. Okay. I know I'm messing up your Tim LaHaye books. Your end time fiction. Let that sink in just a little bit. So they do read it like that, but it's not. It's not the text. It's not it. They don't understand. It's a temple text. So he comes and presents himself as a sacrifice. After he presents himself as a sacrifice, in the ancient of days. What does he do? He sits down. What does the writer of Hebrews say? This man, after he had offered himself as a sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty, waiting till his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Not waiting for the Antichrist to take over the world and God to destroy it in a nuclear holocaust. Jerking out the the church, which we call a bride, who isn't a bride. She's a beat up old hag who's barely hanging on. Fighting all, fighting through all the deception, getting beat up in the, in the birth pains of the tribulation. But thank God Jesus jerked her out. She's beat up. She got a black eye. Her hair is all messed up. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. All right, let's go back to Matthew 24. So now you, you've got the context to understand Matthew 24. Now come back with me to Matthew 24. First thing you have to do, keep it in its context. You, you, you don't get the right to just make it about you. you. You don't get the right to just lift it up out of its context. Literally, take it literally. They say, we take the Scriptures literally. Well, t- let's take it literally. Keep it in its context. Let's keep it in its context. Look at the question Jesus is answering in Matthew 24. Verse 1 again. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Now, there is a spiritual principle here because with the changing of the age, he's leaving the temple system. He is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, but he's leaving the earthly temple system. So it's not just he walked out. He departed. All right. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, one, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. In other words, this temple is going to be totally destroyed. Piece by piece. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, (coughs) when will these things be? What things, saints? The destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming? Not what will be your coming. Not second coming. What will be the sign that you've come? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Not the end of the physical world, blown up in some nuclear holocaust. The end of the age. Everybody say it with me, saints. The end of the Age. So the ancient people were expecting what? The end of the 
age, the end of the age of Aries, moving into the age of Pisces. The end of the age of the Law and Prophets, and moving into the age of the Kingdom. The end of the age of Exile, and moving into the age of the Messiah. The end of the age of the Old Covenant, moving into the age of the... New Covenant. So every time Paul writes to you about the last days, and every time he writes to you about the end of the age, he's not talking about people 2,000 years later. He's talking to his people that are reading the text for crying out loud. Because they were in the end of an age. And when he talks about the coming of the Son of Man, he's not talking about the second coming. He's referencing Daniel and Daniel's prophecy about the coming of the Son of Man who was going to ascend and come before the Ancient of Days as the king priest who was going to fulfill what was type and shadow in the temple and in the feasts, going to abolish the old covenant and and the sacrificial system and all the stuff that went with that age and usher in a new age with fishers of men and, and... and give to people living water of the Holy Spirit that's going to flow out of their innermost being because now they're the temple of the Holy Spirit because God does not dwell in a temple made by hands. And so the sign of His coming is the destruction, the pulling down of the temple that's made by hands because God doesn't live there anymore. He lives inside of you. So let's just let's just look at this. Um, now, can I? Yeah, I don't want to do that. No. If you really want the context for Matthew 24, read Matthew 23, because Jesus is announcing woes, which are prophetic condemnations upon the corrupted temple system of Judaism. So he announces the woes, then he departs from the the temple. I'm not part of that system. You see it? All right, maybe not. That's all right. <clears throat> all right, so let's look at this. All right, he gives us he gives us signs of the end of the age. So how many times have you done this? Jack, Jack Van Impey, God bless him. May he live forever if he hasn't gone on to his reward already. And Hal Lindsey, they come on TV and they tell you, uh, okay, here's the signs. Seven signs of the end of the age. You ready? Um, they are false messiahs, wars, natural disasters, persecution, apostasy, Worldwide evangelization and the abomination desolation. And they pull up headlines. Famine over here. War happening over here. And they say, that's happening right now, right? Right? But what if it happened back then? Because here's our problem. I did this a few years ago. You can, you can Maybe Roger can find it for you in the archives. Maybe I need to come back and do it again. Here's the truth of the matter. When you compare statistics, war is down drastically. It's not increasing. Read, read your history. How many people died in the Civil War? How many people died in World War I? How many people died in World War II? How many people died in Vietnam? The numbers are astronomical compared to the little skirmishes that we're having today with smart bombs and all that other stuff that we're doing. So wars are actually decreasing, not increasing. Famine is actually decreasing, not increasing. Pestilence is actually decreasing, not increasing. And I show you all the statistics. 
That's why people are living longer. That's why the, the, the lifespan is longer. All that stuff that they're telling you is signs of the end of the age. All they're doing is propagandizing you by showing you headlines to make you believe that things are getting worse and worse when all along things have been getting better and better. Oh, don't look at me with that tone of voice. Listen, abortion is not a new thing. It is not a new thing. And, and abortion rates are declining, not, in, not increasing. You know, we got upset because the, the U.S., uh, you know, all my conservative friends were upset years ago because, oh my God, you know, now we've legalized homosexual marriage. And I thought to myself, I don't think that means that more people, like, like, like more homosexuals are going to be sleeping together. I'm getting awful quiet in this Methodist church. I mean, we get shook up about this stuff. Give me a break. Crime rates are going down. See, but they want you to think it's getting worse and worse. Listen, in Rome, listen. You know what they did in Rome? If you were their enemies, they fed you to lions. They crucified you publicly. They're, they're, they, I mean, we watch football and think it's a brutal sport. Now they can't even tackle because they might give somebody a concussion. Heck, in Rome, you wouldn't watch the gladiators. You wouldn't watch blood sports. You wouldn't, you wouldn't watch human sacrifices. Where are human sacrifices today? My God, we've got a long way to go, but slavery is not what it used to be. Women have more rights than they've ever had. Things are not getting worse and worse. It's a lie! Why? Because Jesus is not seated in heaven waiting for His enemies to take over. He's seated in heaven till His enemies are made a footstool for His feet. Thank you. So all this stuff that they want to put in the future is actually in the past. You don't even have to go far to figure it out. (laughs) False messiahs. Let's deal with that. Josephus who was a historian at the time that Rome destroyed the temple and he recorded it beautifully for us. So we know exactly what happened. Here's a quote from Josephus. There was also another body of wicked men gotten together, not so impure in their actions, but more wicked in their intentions, who laid waste the happy state of the city no less than did these murderers. These were such men as deceived and deluded people under pretense of divine inspiration, but were for procuring innovations and changes of the government, and these prevailed with the multitude to act like madmen, and went before them in the wilderness as pretending that God would show them signs and wonders of their deliverance. He's talking about false messiahs. Because the whole reason Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem to begin with was because there was an uprising led by false messiahs. So when Jesus says, many false messiahs will come and don't believe them, He's not talking to you. He's talking to this generation. All these things will come to pass in this generation. Not one to come. Not some fig tree. I mean, give me a break. Hal Lindsey, there is no place, no place except in Hal Lindsey's books, as far as I can tell, that a fig tree represents the nation of Israel. But he says, oh, see, here it is. When Israel became a nation in 1948, that was the fig tree. And so now we got a generation, and a generation is 40 years. I remember I was in high school in 1988, and I remember these kids all worried, Jesus coming back, 88 reasons, Jesus coming back in 1988, because 40 years had gone by, had been a generation, and Jesus said this generation will not pass since Israel had been reconstituted as a nation. 
which wasn't the seed of Abraham. Oh, I'm really going to get myself in trouble now. It wasn't the seed of Abraham. There was a revival of Judaism in the Dark Ages in Europe. The Palestinians look more like the seed of Abraham than Netanyahu. He looks European. Why? Because he is. It's just true. Where do you think all those Jews came from? In Europe, that, that, that Hitler was... Alright, i got to get off it. Alright. Why did I get into that? Wars. Josephus records Jewish conflicts with Caesarea, Syria, as well as other foreigners, including 50,000 slain in Alexandria. Wars and rumors of wars. Natural disasters. In Acts 7.11, we're told about a famine. In Acts 11.28, we're told about another famine. <clears throat> Josephus also recorded plagues of locusts and all kinds of natural disasters. See, see, these are all signs that were fulfilled. Persecution. Well, gee, read the book of Acts. <laughs> they will take you into the synagogues. Not you. Those you. Apostasy, Acts 20, 29 through 30. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things and draw away disciples after themselves. 2 Corinthians 11. He says, uh, for, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostle of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if the ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So you're waiting for some big deception. And that's what keeps people close to truth. I can't receive anything other than what I already received because it might be part of that great end time deception, which ain't even going to happen. We're, we're already in an end time deception. All right. Anyway. Okay, moving right along. Now, worldwide evangelization. Now, that's a problem because it says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, right? But please understand that ancient writers did not know about North America. I mean, I know they're writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but will you let them be human for crying out loud? Will you let it be in divinely inspired, not divinely dictated? Paul said all scriptures inspired by God. He didn't say all scriptures dictated directly from God. There's a difference. Because if it's dictated, you've got a real problem when you go to a Bible bookstore. Because you've got how many different translations now? Well, which one's the right dictation? Oops. So the world was a term that was used for throughout the Roman Empire. And look what Paul says. Okay, you don't believe me? Fine. Listen to this in Colossians 1. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you, the gospel, right? Yes? As it has also in all the world. Do we need to look at that? Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Since you heard the grace of God in truth. 
Colossians 1.23, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which is preached to every creature under heaven. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. All right, got to move on. I don't want to, I can't, obviously can't deal with the whole thing. All right, so this is what messes people up. Yeah, but the second coming is right there in chapter, in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. All the tribes of the earth is all the tribes of the land. It just gets translated. The, of what land? The promised land. Why are the tribes of the land mourning? Because their city and temple system is being destroyed. Oh, and by the way, if you think the, that God's going to put out the sun, the moon, and the stars, how many have been around when we've had really bad forest fires? You remember a few years ago when you go outside in the day and it's as dark as it could be because the smoke has darkened? And you're how many miles removed from that? So imagine a army of people coming into your town and all they have is a weapon. They don't have machine guns and all that stuff. They have fire. And they're burning up all the structures. And it's not miles away. It's right there. Guess what? You're not going to see the sun. And, get the, and you know what the craziest thing is like? At night, the moon is what color? If you can see it. Red. And you can't see the stars. And by the way, the book of Isaiah, the book of Amos, some of those minor prophets, Obadiah, uses the same language, the same exact language of the sun being darkened and the moon not giving us light and the stars not giving us light to describe the destruction of Babylon, to describe this as a destruction of Eden. It's, it's apocalyptic term. It's a descriptive term of what happens. Listen, if you are in a war, if you are living in a town and an invading force comes in and they kill everybody, guess what? It's the end of the age for you. Your sun goes out. Your stars go out. Your moon goes out. It's not this cosmic thing that's going to happen. All right. Sorry. Just, I mean, geez. Why do we believe this stuff? All right. Now notice, it doesn't say the Son of Man will appear in heaven. It says the sign of the Son of Man. Everybody say the sign. There's a difference between a sign and a person. I cannot go grab the sign at the, at, 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 that says Pueblo, Colorado, elevation 4,000 whatever feet. I can't grab that sign, dig it up and take it to my house and say I've got Pueblo in my house. I can't do that. Never says the Son of Man will appear in heaven. It says the sign of the Son of Man. Or actually, the literal translation, the sign will appear that the Son of Man is in heaven. Because remember they said, what is the sign of your coming? The sign that the Son of Man is who He says He is will be that I told you this was going to happen and it happened. The sign that the Son of Man is who He said He was going to be is this temple system that you think is preserving you and saving you and all this stuff that you think is going to happen. You've got to understand, all that prophetic stuff that they thought was going to happen, none of it took place. The exact opposite took place. But Jesus and His followers, 
And Eusebius, who records church history for us, says that the only Jews that, that got out of the city were those who were followers of Jesus, for they heeded his words and his prophetic proclamations. So when they saw the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place of that temple that Jesus was talking about, they knew that it was time to get out. And Rome gave the Jews an opportunity to say, look, we're going to come in and destroy your temple. If you want to save your life, you get out now. And the, any Christians that were left in there fled to the hills, fled to Judea, and they were saved while everybody else was destroyed and guess where their bodies went their bodies went (laughs) can i do this their bodies went to a garbage dump outside jerusalem called gehenna and you know what gehenna gets translated as in your bible hell so guess where they went literally to hell And you know what they did? They lit them on fire. Now here's the really interesting thing. Because it was a canal, when it would rain, when they would have the heavy rains, harvest rains, it would wash that junk into the Dead Sea, which also was made of, uh, had a, what's that stuff um, that combusts? Um, Sulfur. It was a sulfur sea. And back in that day, it would catch on fire. And you know what they called it? You know what the Jews called it? The lake of fire. So when you're reading the book of Revelation, it, the book of Revelation is about the end of the law age of the temple and the beginning of the new age of the heavenly Jerusalem, which isn't a real cubic city. It is a, it is a spiritual dimension that you've been seated in, in high, in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. It's the heavenly Jerusalem, Paul says, that is the mother of us all. It's the heavenly Jerusalem that John says is the bride who's coming out of heaven. It's not some cubic thing hanging out for down her space someplace waiting to land. Oh, boy. Messing you up, aren't I? So the beast is Rome, and the false prophet is the high priest. And it's all about the rejection of the Son of God. So anyone who worshipped the beast or his image was thrown where? Into the lake of fire. All right, moving right along. I went over about like I thought it would. I, I've done this before. I can't. I'm going to keep going here. Here's the point. When, when it says you will see... It, it says um, the sign that the Son of Man is in heaven will appear... And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He's referring to Daniel's prophecy, not a physical vision. Now watch this. Here's the Feast of Tabernacles and we're done. He will send his angels. Now see, we got a problem there because we think angels are always supernatural beings and we don't understand that the word Angel in Greek is also used for human beings, specifically John the Baptist, who was the messenger. The word angel means messenger. 
So it's at the discretion of the translator. So when it's talking about John the Baptist, they don't say John the Baptist was the angel of the Lord. They say he was the messenger of the Lord who was to prepare the way. But it's the same word. So you can say angels if you want to. Or you can just change it to messengers and you're still being good with the text. He will send out his messengers with a great trumpet. It's pointing to the Feast of Trumpets, not a physical trumpet that's going to blow because you're going to get caught up. <laughs> and he will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. In other words, the true Israel, the true Israel, the true Jews, were those who were Jews inwardly. Those who were the Israel of God who recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the coming king priest. And he's fulfilling the prophecies of the gathering together of Israel. But here's the thing. It was much bigger. The gathering together was much bigger than what Israel had accounted for because their expectations were this. Their expectations were that that the Messiah would come and everybody would join him in war against the sons of Belial who were the Gentile nations. And they would go out and destroy in a bloodbath the Gentile nations. So the serving them, the way they interpreted Daniel's uh, point that they would serve them was that they'd be conquered by him. But Paul understood with the resurrection of Christ that what Jesus came to do was not to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came to give life. And not only give life to Israel, but to give life to all of humanity, to give life to all nations. And that's the program that God's about. God is not waiting for the Antichrist to take over. He's not waiting for some peace treaty in the Middle East. He's not waiting to destroy the whole thing in some nuclear holocaust. There is no coming great tribulation because it already happened. It happened in the first generation. And by the way, when Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, you've got to understand that heaven and earth, the temple system, the temple itself was a microcosm of heaven and earth. It was a microcosm of creation. And the Jews of that day referred to the temple as heaven and earth. So he's saying the temple will pass away, but my words will stand. That's also why, for those of you that want to go under the law, when Jesus said, I didn't come to remove one jot or tittle from the law, heaven and earth will pass away. In other words, when that temple system passes away, the law passes away. That's what Hebrews said. When there's a change of priesthood, there's a change of law. He's not talking about the cosmos. He's talking about the temple system. So what's on God's program? What's on God's program? The future is open-ended. The future is not this predetermined thing where, where we, we cannot do anything to change or benefit or improve or, or have any kind of impact. It, it's, it's not set that, boy, the Middle East and Israel and Antichrist and tribulation and all that stuff, it's, it's, it's already happened. And what if there isn't a predetermined future because God wants a kingdom of priests who can co-create the future together with Him through their consciousness and their participation in heavenly places? Then wouldn't it make sense that the powers that be that don't want to see the sons of God come into their full inheritance, that don't want to see the children of light fully manifesting the power of who they are because it would mean the end of their system just like it meant the end of a corrupt religious system in, 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 in 70 A.D. Understand the message of Jesus 
Jesus was a message of liberation and empowerment to the sons and daughters of God. And that spelled the end of religious control. It spelled the end of Rome, the Roman government and the Roman Empire. And that message is just as powerful today. And there are dark forces and there are people who are the power brokers in our society and they don't want the children of God to come into their inheritance. That's why religion tells you don't look inside. Because if you look inside, you're going to be deceived. No, if you look inside, you're going to find the image of God and the light of God and the brightness of God. And greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And if too many of you rise up in power, because here's the deal, you've got the power to shape and create a future that is not predetermined by God, but is open-ended. So the best thing they can do to control you and beat you down is tell you a lie about the future that it's been predetermined that there is going to be a godless government that's going to take over and rule the world, take over the financial systems so that you can't have any money and you can't have access to any resources. Why? Because they're dark and evil and you're expecting it. And you think it's the will of God. So you buy into that lie so that they can stay in control. Instead of realizing all of creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the children of God. Because when the children of God are revealed for who they are, then all of creation will be brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And somebody has to start telling the truth so that we can wake up and quit abdicating our role and quit living in this, this darkness. People who deprive themselves. I won't participate in the, in the, in the, in the stock market because it's the mark of the beast. I won't get on board with the latest technology because, oh my God, they're going to insert chips inside us. And they're, they're going to make it like, you know, and I'm not saying you should let people put chips inside you. That could be a whole separate issue. <laughs> but I'm just saying it probably ain't going to say 666. And the internet was the beast. The television networks were the beast. Think about it. So the world that does not have the divine genetic inside of them keeps advancing our culture and our system, because they're at least of the belief that the future is open-ended and they can influence it and create it and change the world. Well, we sit back and demonize it all. My God, they came out with your social security number. That's going to be the mark of the beast. They came out with the UPC code. Everybody's looking to see, is there a 666 in the UPC code? Oh, they're going to take your money away and go with electronic stuff. That's a pretty good day, actually. I mean, how many of us use cash anymore? Oh, my God, they're going to go to a cashless society. Remember all that? It just pumps fear, 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 fear. Keep you, your mind, your imagination, and your hopes for the future in subjugation to powers that want to control you for their own gain and their own benefit. And that's why they hate this message, and that's why they hate Christians, and they hate people that are rebel rousers and won't go with the system and won't go with the darkness. 
Because if you ever discover who you are, if you ever get free, the days of their control is over. And that's what Jesus is telling them. That's why Jesus departed the temple system. That's why he renounced the Pharisees. He said that that whole system of control, Jesus is standing back and saying, you see that whole system of control, that whole system of control is going to be destroyed. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus is still saying the same thing because his is the only kingdom that is an eternal kingdom. And every other kingdom, everything in heaven and earth that can be shaken will be shaken. And only the kingdom that we are receiving that is eternal, that, that does not pass away, will remain. So you don't have to stay in bondage to any political system, any religious idolatrous system, you, any any. All right, man, your future. How many kids didn't feel good? Christian kids didn't feel good about their future because they were told every week lies, lies. Lies. It's not true. Do your homework. Just beseech preachers, teachers, whoever's out there, do your homework. And make sure it's verifiable. And don't do it on the internet. My God. <laughs> Let's stand up. You doing all right? Let's just wait on the presence of the Lord for just a moment. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you for your divine and wonderful presence, ministry into our lives. Thank you for removing the shackles from our minds, from our hearts. And empowering us like Joseph, like Daniel, to be dreamers. Lord, I'm asking you to raise up in this generation all around the world a people who are not afraid to dream, a people who are not afraid to dream of a brighter day, of a better future, of a, of a, of a healthier humanity, that are not afraid to dream of peace, that are not afraid to dream of, of, of even world peace. Lord, Evangelical Christians have been the biggest opponents to people getting together and reconciling their differences, all because of this lie that's been put over their brains. So, Father, would you raise up a kingdom people? Would you raise up a people with the divine DNA and the divine seed and the divine principle of Christ inside them that can be innovators, that can be teachers and educators, that can be peacemakers, that can be inventors, that can transform businesses and cultures and societies lord give us the power to dream again yes. Yes. and we ask it in jesus name <laughs> amen i'm, I'm going to send this message to all my friends who didn't like what i did with the cross <laughs> see see how they handle it <laughs> god bless you have a great day